praise God for that. God takes everything that we do. He takes note of it. Best of all, he knows what we need and when we need it. And he knows how to get us out of it. But at times, he doesn't always take us out of it. Sometimes he lets us sit there for a little bit and to realize the situation that's happening. And through that situation that we realize, he, he gives us the choice to make a decision. What we do and how we will do it. But at the same time, we set our cares upon him. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him. And if we do, he will deliver us from where we are. Praise the Lord. Our God is a God of grace and mercy. He allows us to evaluate the situation I said before. And if we are wise, we'll let the Holy Ghost and God's word to guide us. God wants us to learn to think. And as he thinks, this is why Paul says, uh, towards the end in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 but we have the mind of Christ the more we read God's word the more the better we understand the scriptures the more we understand more of him we learn the mind of Christ we also of course have preachings and teachings that we learn from and if we're hungry we'll never stop growing I feel blessed every time uh, you know we mention the Lord God he brings blessings not only to those who are at times just thinking about him and talking about him, but those who are listening and catching a whiff of that, and it's good for that. With that being said, we should hunger for righteousness, and here's why. In Psalm chapter 55, 22, God, God's word gives us these reassuring words, and it says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be removed. He, meaning God, shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. If you would pray with me today, and if we trust in God, and we know that this is true, hold it to your heart and say, God, we trust in you. You are righteous, Lord God. But, Lord, we have obtained righteousness through your blood, Lord, and we trust in you, Lord God. Today, Lord, we come to you, Lord, in prayer and asking, Lord, that your word, Lord God, that comes forth, Lord, that it would transform us, Lord, to the bettering, the renewing, Lord, of our minds and of our spirit and our souls, O oh God, so that when you come for us, O oh God, we will be ready, Lord. But also, Lord, teaching others to, to absorb and learn the things that are of you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, musicians. So the title of this message is, God is our burden bearer. The thought that I would like to talk to you about today is to encourage you today is, is that when troubles come your way, as well as trials, and when you feel defeated and overwhelmed, that you would lift up your head towards the heavens and say this. I've done it many times, and I think some of us have as well. I will cast my cares upon you, Lord, because he will sustain me. You in this case as well. And when you do rejoice and take joy in it. King David did this very thing. In the midst of, of being caught up and choosing to run or to stay, uh, there was a threat upon his life by those close to him. Some were family and uh, others were people of, uh, who were close to him as, as, as friends that he would have never thought would do what they did. Psalm 55 seems to describe David's cry and desire to flee, as well as asking God to bring judgment on those that have caused him this distress, and also making it clear it was people 
who he trusted well and received advice when he asked for it. Friends are not sound, not all of them at least. We're going to have friends that come and friends that go. The only friend that we can truly trust for sure that will never fail us is Jesus. Friends just come, and then as they come, uh, some will remain. The ones that remain will be, uh, you know, will grow stronger in sense if we nurture them. But if we don't nurture them, they will fall away. For instance, uh, the ones that you don't want to keep are going to be the ones that have probably uh, somewhere along the lines uh, derived you away from the Lord. Uh, the friends that we don't keep would be the ones, again, that we perhaps have recognized to cause distractions in our lives. I myself, when I came to the Lord, I made a decision to sever certain relationships. But before I severed them, I made it very clear to them what I was doing and what I was going to become for the Lord. Now, I wasn't 100% sure that I would be up here, but I knew that I would go seeking for God and serve him. And in doing, in doing so, uh, for that exact reason, many of us have chosen to avoid any form of thing that is identified contrary to God's word uh, when we recognize it. This is our avoidance to that. Those who did not grow up in the church would probably uh, agree. Uh, and if you, uh, I'm sorry, did not, I'm sorry, those who did not grow up in the church would probably agree with me. Those who did, some probably would because, again, uh, they were also affected by this. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be ye not equally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Paul obviously is talking about those who claim to be walking in the faith. If you claim it, then you need to walk in it. David, on the other hand, is caught up in a bit of a life crisis. Not that we don't go through them. We also go to them. But at the same time, we have to, we look to the scriptures for counsel and advice and sometimes to friendship. David, however, was unaware that he was unequally yoked at that point in time. But don't be alarmed. Uh, those things still happen even today, as I mentioned. This is a saying that many of us have heard from, uh, from you know, every now and then. In most cases, it's based on relationships. If the relationship is good or bad, the saying goes, time will tell. So in time, you will tell if a relationship truly is a, a, uh, a, a I should say, a genuine or is it just a made-up one. As children of God, I think we learn to build genuine relationships uh, because the Word does tell us to love one another, care for one another. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12, uh, we learn that Absalom has sent uh, for Ahithophel, I'm going to call him A. <laughs> we just talked about this. Ahithophel, the Gilanite. All right, David's counselor is out. I'm going to call him A just in case because I'm not going to be saying his name all the time. It's A. Anyhow, this is the counselor that uh, was recruited, and I'm going to say Absalom because Absalom was um, obviously rising up against David. And he did this uh, against David's knowledge, so David was not aware of this. And then in verse 13, uh, it says, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. Absalom uh, is over, overthrowing King David to take over the kingdom. You might wonder, why would Absalom do, Absalom do this? Uh, Absalom's obviously angry. There's usually some kind of animosity there when someone uh, 
wants to do something to hurt someone. And not necessarily the king. It could have been another king. But he also uh, didn't stand up for something that the king, obviously, he thought the king should have stood up for. Absalom, again, in his wrath, probably uh, originated from when uh, his, his sister Tamar was taken advantage of. And, and, and then he fled, he, fled, he fled for three years because he killed the man who did it, being this his own brother. It was on the family. He was then allowed back into the city because somebody pleaded for him. And if you've read the story, you're going to know that it was Joab that went over there and uh, had a lady uh, kind of travail for him and call out to King David. But David, because God was with him, was able to discern that. For two years, King David wouldn't see him face to face, uh, at least when he came into Jerusalem. So So three years he's out. And then he brings him back in, and he's there for two years. And for two years, David would not see him. Then again, somebody pleaded for Absalom again. So the king would face him. This was a sign of forgiveness. This was kind of done openly. And in giving him, this, this gives him formal rights as the king's son again, sort of speak. In other words, if, he, if King uh, David would have never acknowledged him, he would have probably remained where he was, and he probably wouldn't have had any kind of attention from anyone. Not that that's a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to be alone. <laughs> if you can place yourself in his shoes, there are people that feel like they have, they have to build up in order to get trust or to, to receive trust. Therefore, they are allowed to do anything. And what I mean by that is that sometimes there, there will be, I know that I have done it before when I was at work. I wouldn't do things because well, that's not mine. I can't touch it. It doesn't belong to me. But and but every, all of a sudden, the individual will say, no, it's, hey, it's okay. You can use it, just be very careful with it, and then I gained rights for it. In the same way it was with Absalom, because the people didn't know about him, he couldn't gain that access. And again, as I mentioned, doing it openly uh, would give him this acknowledgement. Uh, this means that everybody would see this, everybody seeing it, knowing that he would, uh, he would gain a position. This makes pretty good sense. If you don't have favor with the king, you don't have any kind of persuasion towards the people nor the armies of the, of the kingdom. But once you do, you have what they, as we say uh, here, you have pull, you have uh, leverage. But once he did, at the beginning of the second of Second Samuel chapter 15, he had the ability to gather men in verse 6. The Bible says that he gathered, I believe it was 50 men. Absalom, the Bible says that he stole the hearts of Israel. And the way he did that, uh, he did it uh, kind of in a, in a political way uh, as, 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 he, as he did this. He was giving justice to those who were looking for it. In other words, people were coming to the king, but the king was not seeing them. So he took it into his own hands to bring judgment uh, to those. It's, and, and it's almost if somebody comes and pleads me uh, and I'm the king and, and I, start, uh, I start ignoring it. But somebody comes to the side and starts to handle the business, well, then that person is going to gain favor. And this is exactly what happened. So he gained favor with the people, and this is how he stole it off of King, uh, King David. Thank you. <laughs> Went blank there for a bit. And the fact of the matter is, who will forget? So, and here's the thing. Uh, when, when somebody is some, does something for you, you don't tend to forget that person. And the fact of the matter is, who's going to forget someone who stands up for them, specifically if they're well-known? Even when, uh, how could you forget Absalom, King David's son? 
the guy with five pounds of hair. It's, that's a hard thing to forget, right? Or 200 shekels, as the, as the Bible says. So King David, as he exits the kingdom with all the people that are following, he is notified that his counselor is one of the conspirators in Absalom, with Absalom. So if you can only imagine this individual is a counselor of his, he now openly knows that, that there's, there's awareness there of, of the, how all this is taking place and how it's, it's pretty much moving about. If you have the councilman who, who understands everything and has also certain pull, then now you've got the people, you've got a counselor, and now you've got yourself a king. By the way, David, uh, your count, you know, somebody stopped by and, uh, or passed them by. He said, by the way, David, your counselor, A, is one of the conspirators, Ahithophel. Fell. Now, David is aware that not only his son Absalom is coming against him, but one of his well-entrusted counselors as well. Someone who he probably considered a friend, entrusted with some pretty deep secrets, I would think, who gave him wisdom and support, but now is doing something other than what he expected to do. David notes in Psalm 55, uh, verse 13 through 14, and if they don't have the notes, it's my fault. I forgot to give her the notes as soon as uh, I, anyhow. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow. <laughs> but it was, it was thou a man, mine equal. He is, he is speaking of what's going on. My guide and mine acquaintance. He took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. David was obviously hurt about this. He calls him his equal, his guide and his acquaintance. The word sweet counsel means that the relationship was good, at least on his behalf, he thought at that point. He possibly thought that he could have never betrayed him, but situations change the heart of man that does not walk in the ways and understanding of the Lord. David, on the other hand, understood God's faithfulness. In Psalm 55, verse 17 through 18, we find here, evening and morning, at noon will I pray and cry aloud, And he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that, has, that was against me. For there were many with me. David left betrayed. And once David knew this, the Bible says that David prayed to the Lord and was certain that God would hear his cry. And the counsel of A, or Ahithophel, would turn into foolishness, and it did. But not before advising Absalom to do something unthinkable, uh, things against King David, almost to prove that he, uh, he is now uh, in charge and, of course, surrounded by these people, it makes it clear. It was a type of show, uh, look what I'm doing and recognize it. Just as David made it known to the people openly as forgiving his son so that all could see it, Absalom did the very same thing openly without the presence of David. But in this, in this case, he was mocking the king who was also his father. Openly. When King David exited Jerusalem, there were some of the priests. Uh, they, had, they had gone to meet him there. One of them was Hushai, if I pronounce that right. King David sent uh, them back and advised them to send information to him that would be useful. He told them, 
to remain there and to be with the Ark of the Covenant and surround, and he assured them that if God wanted him to return, then he would. David was not in the midst to do what he wanted to do. He'd accepted the fact that if, if he was going to lose his position as king, he would embrace it because it would be the will of God. But he also didn't take him, talk himself down uh, as not coming back. Instead, he said, if it is God's will for me to return, then I will. David was speaking and trusting in God. He was casting his cares upon the Lord. David was quick to step off the throne that, would, that did not belong to him for a moment. There are things that, are, that belong to us, and they're possessive, and we, we like to hold on to things, but we also have to realize that we don't technically possess them. We can't take them with us, I guess better said. God would then allow Absalom to take the throne, but God would later return it to David. While David was on the run from Absalom, the council of Ahipatho was at the, at the ears of Absalom. He advised that they should go out there and kill David while he was tired and weak. But David had men on his side, not only speaking on his behalf to delay them from chasing him, but also having the opportunity to send word to him to get him away. Absalom would call Hushai, the archite, for his counsel. Hushai, being a trustworthy friend to David, supported the rightful king and used his words to persuade the king and succeeded. Hushai's counsel as seen is seen above Apithos. A, his words of persuasion changed the mind of Absalom. He tells him David, he tells him about David's strength and courage. He describes David's attitude as a vicious, in a vicious mood, almost because he was he had felt like he had been robbed or, or you know stolen from. And he talks about the mighty men that are with David. These men are not just any men. These men are are men of valor, willing to fight and die for the king. They have fought many battles and would not take an instant to take a life that comes against their king. Hushai would be seen as a man who leaned not unto his own understanding, as the, as a proverb says. He feared the Lord because he knew that David was God's anointed, and he was submitted to the God of the cause. David told him to go and to be and to be a friend to serve Absalom on his you know on his side. His, and of course, this is his son, who is now king. And in doing so, Absalom asked for uh, the loyalty of Hushai. He asked him, you know, is he not your friend? Why didn't you go with him? Don't you think that, you know, it would be a good thing for you to go with your friend? And what he responded was that his work was there with the king. Now, the reason he responded that was because David sent him back. And he said, go and serve him as king, but also send me back information. So technically, I started to think about this, and maybe what he was, I said, well, he's lying, but he wasn't. He was just transferring information that was given to him, and then he was using it, using it to his benefit. And in doing so, he remained obedient to David, but he also remained obedient to Absalom. We know that David was not quite, uh, quite about this as well. He was a prayerful about what was going on. He was speaking to the Lord about what was happening and what he would be like, uh, what he would like to see done. It was as if he was declaring what God would do to those who came against him. 
I believe I have prayed these things at times when uh, I feel there's a, a combatant uh, spirit that comes against me. And, and I'm not saying that it happens to everybody, but at times we get a little aggressive in our praying uh, for whatever reason. I believe it's the, uh, the spirit that gives us, you know, that travail and that, that uttering to be able to come against the enemy. And, of course, we do it every time we feel, uh, you know, broken down as well. David prayed to the Lord even so. Psalm 55, 19, verse 23. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be removed. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. Again, David is describing something that he had not seen or imagined at first, but it came to his heart to, to declare these things. He had learned a valuable lesson. He would never forget this day because he would write them down to never forget it and so that we may also learn from it. And to be more cautious, of course, of the people we trust. There is a search. We, we tend to search. The Bible says uh, Search, uh, test the spirit, see if they're of God. David's son Absalom was young. And due to his immaturity, I believe that David could not bring himself, you know, to hold him accountable for the things that he had done. Perhaps it was because it was his son to begin with. And, of course, needed things that needed to be done. He didn't do it. It was hard for him to put his child in chains, at the very least, him being king. Even so, David prophesied, what would happen to these men? We know Absalom was later killed. And Ahipatho, we read in Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. And when Ahipatho saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him uh, to his house, to his city. And he put his household in order and hanged himself. And died and was buried in the sepulcher, that right? Sepulcher of his father. Praise God. Again, judgment was declared by David. That's, David just spoke it and it came. And I'm not saying that we should speak it against anybody. I'm not saying that. But David, they were trying to take his life. I think some of us would re uh, respond in the same manner, same fashion. If somebody tried to take, Lord, if they're trying to take mine, take theirs right now. It's a, it's a natural response of the human mind. It is trust, a trustworthy counselor was called by the son, by his own son, who was his friend. And when his counsel was not heed to, he was probably so uh, full of shame that he decided to end it. David trusted in the Lord, and so did as well all his followers, his help for his escape as well. Inside and outside the walls of Jerusalem, David lacked nothing. We understand that one, in one of the situations, he was, uh, he was hit by a woman. And uh, it was, it's, the Bible says that it was a, uh, a well 
in the rounds of oil, and she put something there and then covered it with uh, grain, and they hid under there. And then after, of course, they, the people had passed that were looking for them, she uncovered, and they were able to cross the Jordan. Uh, it is important to build good relationships, relationships that will identify us uh, as equals, and we need to be equals according to the Word of God and not to our own understanding. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have relationships outside, uh, you know, of our faith because obviously we work, some, you know, we work in places where we're going to find people that, that don't believe as we do, and that's okay. It's all right. Uh, I think God makes an exception, an exception when it's a situation like that. Uh, that's, and, again, that's a bit different. I work with some unbelievers as well, but, I mean, that's pretty much it. Uh, for those that who, you know, who do believe, I usually do tend to hang out with them for a little bit. But when we hang out, it's based on either because they're asking me for prayer or they're asking me something about the word or they're asking me something about church. And uh, I've stayed with them almost as, as long as 30 minutes, which catches me by surprise, and I say, i got to go. So there's nothing wrong with that. Giving them word is a good thing. I actually had one that I was testifying to, and she was, uh, I was actually giving her a ride, and I was just kind of telling her, how, you know, how, how good God is and how good uh, the things that God was doing in my family's life. And I said, but you know what? God can do it in yours as well. And she clenched her fist, and she's like, see, because she's Hispanic. And I said, amen, praise the Lord. So, I, you know, I, I'm figuring eventually she's going she, you know, to build her faith enough to where, uh, she's going to ask me to baptize her in Jesus' name because I've already shared the gospel with her. And I'm, I'm just hoping, and, I'm, and I hold on to that. I think God is bringing, you know, a little bit of sense. Like the, like the word says, line upon line, precept upon precept. There is a building up of that. Anyhow, uh, Paul is saying uh, not to hang out with the people. So I'm kind of veering off just for a little bit, uh, who are not of the faith. Uh, it is ex- unacceptable, again, in the eyes of God. Being yoked with unbelievers or, for those, or those of darkness will bring turmoil into our lives, much like David. David didn't realize that until it was too late. The word trust is not usually in their vocabulary, and of course, not everyone is like that. But if they are not of the faith, they don't, don't be surprised when trouble shows up. People who live in the world will tend to have foul language, do things that are inappropriate. And again, not everybody does that. And if you have kids like I do, you want to keep them away from all, you know, from all that. This is why I tend to hardly, I hardly ever go out and visit my family because none of them really serve God. It's very, very few. And even the few surprise me sometimes. I have found that the further I get away from the world, the closer, you know, we draw to God. The fewer friends you will also have in your circle. That's the truth. But it's okay. Don't worry. We don't walk in holiness because we are holier than thou. We walk in holiness because we love Jesus. And he died for us. Amen? And if they want to hang out with us, guess what? Invite them to church. I say, you know what? Somebody who wants a relationship with you is going to want to know something about you. Why not teach them or show them the very thing that's ingrained into you? Again, not everybody's like that, but the majority are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And I'm referring this because we have uh, David, and of course we also have uh, the counselor, and then of course we also have uh, Absalom. In other words, the carnal mind of man doesn't agree with what the Spirit of the Lord 
is saying. 1 Corinthians is written to the Corinthian church, which are in, in fact already part of the body. And Paul goes on to say, neither can we know them because they are spiritually discerned. So if they are spiritually discerned, their natural man cannot receive nor know the things of God. Cannot receive does not refer only to knowing, uh, not being able to understand the word. Cannot receive uh, means also to not obey and adhere to God's word. This is why they are unable to see the wrong uh, in there that there is to do, to do this thing. Carnality will overshadow the spirit of God if we let it. We also know that scriptures teach us that the flesh or the body is enmity against the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 17 and 18. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, you are not again under the law. I want to clarify something really quick. Well, it's going to take a little bit. I should say quick. But the scripture is talking about the spirit and flesh. And it says that, uh, that you are not under the law if you were led by the spirit. But if you are not led by the Spirit, then you will be judged by the law. How many of us know that? The law still stands. It's not done away with, especially for those that have not come to know Christ. You see, the Bible and the law, is, they're the commandments of God. We obey them not because we are being forced to, but because we're given the opportunity to. Our God is given us a second chance. We don't deserve it, but we have it. We've obtained it through the sacrifice and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible says that the law was not done away with. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with it. The, he didn't come to do away with the, the law nor the prophets. He came to fulfill it. Through obeying the laws, just the laws, you condemn yourself. But when you walk according to the Spirit, you automatically obey the laws because you want to do what is pleasing to the Lord. It no longer becomes a law. It no longer becomes your judgment because your own free will have, made you, have allowed you to make the decision and have, you have decided to do the things of God that are pleasing to him. Therefore, you are free from the law of judgment because you have obeyed the laws through the Spirit. The Spirit of God is what helps us understand the things of God. But the carnal man looks at things a little bit more different. Our carnality will cause us to look at things in a way that we as fleshly people understand it but it doesn't glorify God if it doesn't fulfill the law through the Spirit. Our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the law in love and the Spirit. When he gave the woman that was caught in adultery a second chance, but then he said to her, go and sin no more. In other words, Jesus was saying to the woman, go and fulfill the law in the Spirit by obeying what I say, because the law of the flesh was, it was getting ready to condemn you. In doing so, we can recognize that this is why I, it, it gives a, more, a little bit more clarity why Jesus said he did not come to do away, but he came to fulfill it. And the fulfilling was in love. And when we fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You can cast your cares upon him. You don't have to worry about the things that you have done wrong because once you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, actually baptized uh, is, is what comes, but before that comes repentance, then we are then cleansed and made uh, free from all that bondage that has, you know, been uh, instilled into us through the world. Romans chapter 8 verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. 
the law is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. In verse 15, prior, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. God's word is the mind of Christ. And if we obey the mind of Christ and we put it in our hearts, then guess what? We are going to fulfill the law in the spirit. The reason he says this, and again, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. This is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the promise of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And it's the same promise that the apostles received on the day of Pentecost. That means that our spirit is in agreement to the Holy Spirit when we are walking according to God's word. But when we are not walking according to God's word, then we are not being led by the spirit of God. And we find ourselves in that situation. We need to bring ourselves back to the word and walk in it. With God, there is no partiality. It's either all, all in or all out. You either, it, it, the Bible says that you, you can't have two masters. You're, you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. Love one, hate the other. I want to love the right one. I'm going to help you choose, uh, you know, what master here. Uh, Jesus is our Lord God. He is the Messiah. He is the beginning and he is the end. But he also tells us that he is our friend. Don't let don't don't be wrong. I'm, I don't want. I'm not trying to down uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't. I, I want you to just just hold hold there for a second because I've heard people say, "Well, he is a friend, but you can't look at him that way." But the the Lord said, "He is our friend," because when we were first serving Him, and you'll find this in Scripture, when we served Him, we were His servants. But when we said, "Lord, I will serve you." And we were baptized in Jesus' name, and you were filled with the Holy Ghost. And you said, Lord, I will adhere to your word. He says, you were no longer service because you know my plan. You are now my friend. We are friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's still our God. He's still our provider. He's still our Messiah. But what? Bet, this is why the Bible says, he sticketh closer than a brother. Praise the Lord. Amen. I just said all that, and it was here. A friend that is telling you what you need to do to get to heaven, that is what a friend does. He brings you good tidings. Now you may say, well, I can't do everything you ask me. But I, can t but, but I will tell you that you can. I made a decision to change these things in my life, to give glory to God. Part of it was to change what I did on how I was providing for my family. It affected my finances hugely. It was immense. It was drastic. But it was all to the glory of God. When I got away from this God brought something into my life. He brought in through, you know, through other people. He brought in means. He brought, uh, he brought in monies, work. And the more he did, the more he provided himself. He provided for me. He did that for me. He didn't have to, but he did. My faith grew. He did this because I was, I was uh, in a sense, trying to show him, my Lord, I'm going to let go of these things, and I want to trust in you. And in doing so, when you're struggling and you're, you're down in the pits, God's going to show up. He recently did it again. He did it then. He did it again. He did, yes, you know, I'm sorry, Friday. He'll do it again in the future. God will not leave us nor forsake us. He is our strength. Amen. So God will take friendships that you have to use. He'll use them for his glory. 
even worldly friendships that you have had, like the ones I mentioned, you're at work and you talk to them and they see you and like, hey, you know what, I don't have, I need to get home, but I don't have $5. Hey, you know what, here you go. And they'll pass you $5. God will use that for his glory to show you that he will take care of you. God will not abandon you. There's a song, I know you guys are singing, you guys keep going, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought they were singing. <laughs> There's a song that I like, that I enjoy. And it says, what a friend we have in Jesus. I have never, I've heard it on the radio and, I, or, and I've heard it, but I've never um, sang it in a congregation. But this song says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a peace we often forfeit of what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's a powerful song. I know when I heard it, it changed my heart. It changed my mind about many things. And in doing that, I believe that's why I'm here today as well. God ministered to us, not only through those who preached to us, but those who sang the songs of many, many, many years ago. And we benefit from that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resisteth steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Hmm. It's a powerful statement. And it should move our hearts. And with that said, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Praise the Lord. King David encountered betrayal, a source of trouble and hurt that many people experienced down through our time. David's betrayal involved him having to flee to the wilderness to avoid the treachery of his sons, his son Absalom. In our day, the circumstance would not likely involve an individual having to flee and hide from an enemy, but the hurt and pain of betrayal are still the same as what David experienced. David was a masterful warrior of a, of a battlefield on the battlefield and a man with impeccable strategies ability, which was demonstrated in his sending Ushai to Hebron to pose as a loyalist to Absalom and become a pipeline of information back to David. However, David knew his human battle skills. He, he was limited and in, insufficient to solely provide the deliverance and help he so desperately needed. He knew he needed the derive to, de, to divide divine help of God. Psalm 55 records David's cries to God to drive to bring in the divine intervention of him 
In this psalm, David confessed his frustration and weariness. He professed his deep pain caused by his enemies and his desires to flee, to be in a place where he could completely escape their treachery. He even revealed that the betrayal he was experiencing came from those who were very close to him. We do not know of the certain that the psalmist was written during the time of Absalom's rebellion, but it sure does sound like it. It may well have been written during the time he was being hunted by Saul and the forces. In either cases, however, the pain and the desperation David experienced were the same. The hurt, the pain, the devastation of being betrayed by one of his close. David did not take Psalm 55 merely a recounting of his pain and frustration. He made it his appeal to God for divine assistance. David cried out to the Lord in faith. He lifted up his hands and God took his hand and reached down to David. God intervened because he heard his cry. He fully believed in God's hand that he would help him and God delivered him from his enemies. The same pattern that David took and portrayed during his times of trials and, and, uh, and problems and concerned situations, we can do the same thing. The power of God is the same for him as it is for us. But there's a bigger difference for us because the Bible says that we are the temple of the living God. We are filled with the Holy Ghost. David didn't have that, he didn't have that, uh, that luxury. David was pretty much on his own. He was, he was out there, but God was with him. In doing so, he stood his ground, and he didn't give in. He ran for a little bit, but then he came right back when the time was right. If you have been through something of this nature, where you feel like you've been beaten up, when you feel that you're down and or someone has said something to you and you feel like you can't stand anymore, let me tell you to cast your cares upon the Lord and He will deliver you. If you would stand with us today, you'd worship the Lord. You can lift one hand, two hands. You can close your eyes and say, Lord, I cast my cares upon you, Lord God. I trust in you, Lord Jesus, that you're going to deliver me, Lord from all my problems, from all my situations. Hallelujah.